Okay, I've got a bunch of clips to get to. Joe Biden was asked by a reporter why the people who are paying him off keep referring to him as the big guy. I'm going to play you that clip. You will not believe a Biden's response. Congressman Jerry Nadler says it's child abuse to not force your two-year-old to mask up during a pandemic. So we'll get to that clip and more. President, plus a lot more to get to. President Trump's indictment has been extremely lucrative. Trump has raised over $7 million, probably $8 million by now, off just off of his indictment alone. And the, I know that's all part of the Democrat strategy because they want him to have a lot of money and become the nominee. I don't really subscribe to that. The very first bombshell new report, the very first patients to ever contract COVID-19, literally patient zero. And the first three patients were scientists. They were not bat eaters, but they were Chinese scientists. You will never guess which lab they worked in. They did research in that bombshell coming up. The New York Times says a nuclear deal with Iran is imminent. And by the way, this deal is so much worse. The details that have been leaked to the New York Times make like the Obama nuclear deal look halfway decent. This is a total disaster train wreck, and they're not even calling it a deal. It's an understanding, not a deal. It's just an understanding. We'll explain why they're using that term coming up. Medicaid spending on illegals in one year nearly doubled. The the, the amount of money that we are spending, the billions of dollars that we are spending on health insurance, health care coverage for illegals, Literally, we spent billions and now it has doubled within the course of one year. And then they tell us that when we don't want when we want to close our borders, when we want to build a wall, when we want to uh, put uh, send illegals back to Mexico, back to Guatemala, they tell us we're cruel and heartless. How can we not help these people? Meanwhile, it's costing us billions of dollars that we don't have. Jared and Ivanka, they made a bas mitzvah celebration for their daughter, Arabella. And there was one notable family member who was absent and the media is having a a, a very very well-known member of the trump family you can imagine it was okay i'll give you a hint it was ivanka's father and uh he did not show up it seems or at least was not in a lot of the pictures that were spread and the media is having a meltdown as though jared and ivanka are trying to distance themselves and they're throwing donald trump under the bus i don't think it's a big deal at all as i will explain coming up where are the recordings? Where are, show us the recordings. I'm not going to let up until we hear the incriminating recordings of the Ukrainian, the mystery Ukrainian businessman having conversations with Hunter and with Joe Biden about paying millions of dollars to the aforementioned big guy. All right, so let's start with the clips here. A lot more to get to as well. Clip of a reporter asking Joe Biden why the FBI informant keeps referring to him as the big guy. And Biden completely snapped at this reporter. And I want to just give you a heads up here. It's a little bit tricky to hear the actual question of the reporter. So I'll tell you what. But that's what he's asking. And uh, I think you you hear it twice in this clip. But but Joe Biden's response is abundantly clear. Listen to this clip. President Biden, why is this way to my lawyer, the big guy? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Why, thanks, Brad. Why did the Ukraine, the FBI informant file refer you as the big guy, President Biden? Why is that term particularly applied? Thanks, guys. Why did I ask such a dumb question? You hear that? Listen again. Why is this way to my lawyer, the big guy? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Why did the Ukraine, the FBI informant file refer you as the big guy, President Biden? Why is that term particularly applied? Unbelievable. So he's asking him why either why the FBI informant referred to him as the big guy or why the Ukrainian businessman. We know in the emails and apparently even in conversations when they talked about giving millions to Joe to president to vice president at the time, Joe Biden, it was 
the, here's some five million for the big guy. And what does Biden respond? Snaps at the reporter. He does that all the time, by the way. If Trump did even Trump is is very, very gracious, not except to Jim Acosta. But even when reporters are attacking him and uh, asking him gotcha questions, Trump always is courteous and respectful, uh, except maybe when it's CNN. And meanwhile, Biden is constantly snapping at reporters who ask him tough questions. And for Biden, a tough question would be like, hey, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Anyways, he responds, why are you asking such a dumb question? Now, I actually agree with Joe on this one. It is a pretty dumb question because do you think if you were going to pay millions of dollars in bribes to, at the time, the vice president, Joe was VP. He was Obama's VP, okay? And millions of dollars are going to Joe in return for political favors. It is the scandal of the century. You think you're going to use his real name? Do you think they're going to use his actual name? Anybody who asked that question clearly has never read a spy novel in his life. Because here, like here, you know, what, what are they, for all they know, they're being recorded. And in fact, they were doing the recording. And they're going to say, like, here is five million dollars for Joseph Biden, the vice president of the United States. Remember the former senator, the one from Delaware? Like, what do they have to spell it out? Of course, you call him the big guy. Because you don't want people to be able to figure out. You know how long it took us? They're, they're paying Hunter Biden money. They're paying every member of the Biden crime family millions of dollars, funneling it through a bunch of different bank accounts. Then they're saying, oh, and here's the one for the big guy. Here's the money for the big guy. And we're not going to, you know how long it took us to put that together? Because they called him the big guy instead of actually spelling out his name and saying he's the vice president of the United States. So obviously, it's just a dumb question. Obviously, there's a reason that they call him. The big guy, you need a cool nickname like that. I mean, could you come up with another? He's not that big. And, you know, maybe you could call him a different name. Maybe you could call him the forgetful guy. Maybe you could call him the old frail guy. Maybe that's the question is why big? Like, he's not that big. Anyway, all right, let's get to the next clip here. Here is a clip of New York Congressman Jerry Nadler. This is this week. This is not an old clip. And he's on the House floor essentially saying that it's child abuse not to mask up your two-year-old. Um, listen to this clip. It protects against transmission of the disease to the next person. And the healthcare worker certainly ought to be required to be vaccinated. And when we have a pandemic, like COVID-19 pandemic that we had, two-year-olds should have been required to wear masks. It would be child abuse for parents not to do that because there was no vaccination available for two-year-olds. The only way to protect them... They haven't changed a bit. They haven't learned a thing. Two-year-olds have been required to wear... They're still pushing the mandates. They're still pushing the vaccine, by the way. I've told you many times, the vaccine in the UK, under 50, you're not even allowed to get the vaccine in the UK. And by the way, did you notice that the FDA recently removed its emergency authorization of the J&J vaccine? for all sorts of various reasons. But, of course, that did not get reported uh, by the mainstream media. But they're still pushing the COVID vaccine even for children, even though children are not at risk. Children have virtually zero risk from COVID. And they're talking about masking up a two-year-old who's at zero risk of uh, having any sort of serious repercussions from COVID unless they have an underlying condition, you know, if they have asthma or lung issues or something like that. And Nadler's still defending the mandate and, and, and saying child abuse, child abuse. I mean, to, 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 to not place a mask on your healthy two-year-old who is not at risk. Well, listen to this clip a little bit longer. This is Congressman Chip Roy of Texas responding to Nadler on the House floor. From New York, because he's basically making the case for me more effectively than I can. The gentleman from New York is basically acknowledging everything that I'm sitting here saying that I'm trying to do to protect the American people from the tyrannical state of the executive branch. But in this case... My Democratic colleagues on the other side of the aisle 
I want everybody in America to understand what they just heard from the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee in the United States House of Representatives. Your two-year-old should be forced to be masked. That is what the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee just said here on the floor of the House of Representatives, that the power of the government, the full power of the federal government, should be a part of ensuring and forcing your children, your two-year-old child, to be masked. We heard it yesterday when the Secretary of HHS refused, refused to actually answer that question. So I'm really glad to hear that the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee acknowledges what everybody in America understands, which is that the Democratic Party, led by the President and by my Democratic colleagues in the House and the Senate, are fully comfortable with the power of the government being used to shut down your businesses, force you out of work, unless you take an experimental vaccine that has not been proven to actually do what the gentleman just said, which is with respect to transmissions. You would think it's like 2021 all over again. I mean, it's like 2023 and they're still having this debate in Congress, which is absurd. All right. So according to a bombshell new report, speaking of COVID, the first patients ever infected with COVID-19. By the way, this is from some very reputable journalists, Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi. The first patients ever were scientists working at the Wuhan lab in 2019. What a shock. And in fact, they were doing gain of function research on bat coronaviruses. Scientists literally conducting research on coronaviruses back at the end of 2019. This is according th- th- these journalists are quoting multiple U.S. government officials. And these three scientists, I believe they all perished. I believe they all passed away. Again, they were getting they got COVID very early on. So, of course, nobody had any idea how to treat it at that point. I mean, very early on, they were the first. They were the ones who transmitted it to the rest of the world. And they were conducting gain of function research. And, of course, what that does is that makes the virus more deadly. And Rand Paul said it so well, again, without going into all the details. Remember, the FBI months ago confirmed that the most likely uh, source of COVID-19, of the pandemic, came from the Wuhan lab, and it was a lab leak. And by the way, best case scenario, it leaked from the lab accidentally. But it's very possible that China actually did it intentionally. And we can come up all sorts of motives, the most likely motive being that they wanted to push out Trump. And that's exactly how things played out, because it caused a major crisis, which ultimately led to Trump, who otherwise I think would have been reelected without the COVID pandemic, to actually lose the election, partially because of mail and balance, everything else. And listen, it's very simple. Rand Paul said it. He said, Dr. Fauci is culpable. Dr. Fauci was giving millions of dollars to the Wuhan lab specifically to do gain of function research. Dr. Fauci has papers that he's written where he defended gain of function research. Now he denies it and claims we never, ever funded gain of function research. And Rand Paul's a liar. There are emails, literally a smoking gun, where we have hard evidence, indisputable, irrefutable evidence that Fauci funded gain-of-function research. What is gain-of-function research? It's when they they take a virus out of a bat and they make it more deadly for humans. They make it easily transmissible, human-to-human, very easy. And that's exactly what happened with COVID with the spike protein. And they make it much more deadly. And officially, they're doing it. Whatever reason they're doing it, it is completely inexcusable, certainly not in China. If you're going to do it, you do it in some military lab, which is extremely high security in America, if you're going to do it at all. But certainly, you don't fund... China doing this research. It's a, it's as evil a, a scheme as you could ever imagine. And they literally, they go and get a, a virus out of a bat. Wuhan doesn't have bat caves, okay? So the, 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 the pandemic began, originated in Wuhan. They tried to claim it came out of a wet market, yet it originated in like the epicenter of coronavirus gain-of-function research. So it really is chilling when you think about how this all played out. And officially, they're doing it in order to better understand the dangers of 
the coronavirus or what the, a potential pandemic. But what they're really doing is they're developing this massive, massive bioweapon. Uh, is China ever going to be punished? Is Dr. Fauci ever going to be punished? And all the P- Eco Health Alliance and all the people who are involved on the American side of the gain-of-function research, WHO, who helped China spread this pandemic, meanwhile denied it, pretended like it wasn't happening, so that travel from China could c- c- could happen all throughout the world before they finally shut it down and allow this thing to spread literally everywhere when it could have been contained in China and in Wuhan. So it's unbelievable when you look at the all the different moving parts here. And now we have multiple U.S. government officials quoted as saying that the first patients to ever contract it were these three scientists in Wuhan who are literally doing gain-of-function research. All right, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, they held a bas mitzvah celebration for their daughter Arabella. Okay, Mazel Tov, obviously, and apparently President Trump was not at the celebration. He held some kind of birthday celebration for Arabella weeks before in Mar-a-Lago. But uh, either he wasn't at the celebration, which is certainly what seems very likely, or at at the very least, you know, uh, Ivanka posted a bunch of pictures of the Bar Mitzvah celebration, of the Bas Mitzvah celebration, I apologize, uh, including a lot of different relatives of the Trumps, of the Kushners that were in these pictures, and President Trump, Ivanka's father, was nowhere to be found. So it it does seem like he either was not there or he was intentionally left out of a lot of the very key pictures. So the media is turning this into a scandal. The media is having in a tailspin. And they're saying, oh, well, there's a rift between Jared and Ivanka. Ivanka's distancing herself. Jared's distancing himself. They were his biggest supporters. It's almost like, see, we were right. You were wrong. Even Even Jared and Ivanka can't stand President Trump. I'm not buying it. Okay, yes, that we know for a fact that they're distancing themselves politically. They don't want to be. They don't have anything to do with the Trump campaign running for president in 2024. And I don't blame them one bit. But it's not because they don't support him. Look, they were hit the driving force behind his success for the four years that he was in the White House. It was stressful. It took a toll. They sadly got themselves embroiled in a lot of controversy that wasn't their controversy. It was his. But he, they, because they surround him, they're so close to him. They were advisors of his. Obviously, they're his kids. So that certainly is going, you know, by guilt by association. So he's a target. The media, the Democrats, the left, they can't stand Trump. They throw everything, including the kitchen sink at him. Obviously, it's going to impact his children, his grandchildren, his entire family. So I don't and and yet they stuck it out for four years. They didn't leave his side. They didn't abandon him. Even when January 6th took place, they were still supportive of him. And this has nothing to do with how they feel about his achievement, his track record and these indictments and whether he's guilty or innocent. Nothing to do with any of that. It's very simple. They are protecting their children and as they should be and they are placing their children ahead of supporting the trump campaign and a a possible trump presidency and trump the politician because they need to keep their family as functional as can be and shielded from the never-ending saga and drama and the never-ending it it is so contentious and they are so vicious the media is so vicious and as we've seen with Barron Trump and other children, other than Hunter Biden, the media will not protect children who do not deserve to be in the in the limelight, in the spotlight, and to and to be part of the negative coverage. So Trump has a bullseye on his back, and as a result, the left tore his family apart, which is part of their plan, by the way. Part of their plan is they marginalize Trump. They even they, they literally tear his family up so that like nobody will be near him and supportive of him, including Jared and Ivanka. So that's what's really happening over here. It, it's not because they don't like him, they don't support him. At least there's no evidence to suggest that. Yes, they have said, we don't want to have anything to do with his campaign. We're out. 
But of course they said that. Can you imagine the immense stress, the pressure they're under? Can you imagine the toll that it takes on their family, on their children, how hard it is to be seeing these headlines constantly and think, oh, you know, that's grandpa or that's their relative or whatever, and to be so connected to it. So I have no problem with them whatsoever keeping Trump out of the family gathering and out of the celebration. But again, the media is acting as though they don't support him. The media is acting as though they've thrown him under the bus. Not true. At least there's no evidence to suggest that they were an integral part of his success. Jared is responsible for the Abraham Accords. He helped Trump pull out of the Iran nuclear deal, which we'll get to later on, how there is a new Iran nuclear deal uh, being uh, negotiated, finalized with the Biden administration, which is terrifying. Criminal justice reform, that came from Jared. Many, many other achievements. I have no problem whatsoever with them bowing out and saying, listen, we cannot handle the stress anymore. And that leads me, I want to point out something here. Uh, about the tactics and the strategy of the left to really, really crush Trump. And this actually goes a little bit deep, as I want to explain, because I think the media, they exploit Trump's weakness. They manufacture these scandals, right? But part of the whole master plan is they know that Trump has certain tendencies, and they're not good tendencies. I agree. Trump, he should not, he takes the bait, and he gets into the mud, and then he'll do things that actually take a a non-scandal and make it seem much more scandalous than it is. So again, the media, they are 100 percent to blame and the left is 100 percent to blame because they set him up and they trap him and they're trying to destroy him. They'll do anything they need to to destroy him. But they also know how to exploit kind of his weaknesses. I want to explain, like somebody the other day made a comment and it got me thinking. They said that Trump is somebody who thrives on crisis. And it occurred to me, maybe like he enjoys crisis a little bit too much. Maybe he li- like if Trump had a choice between being out of the headlines or being indicted. Look, he's in the headlines all the time. But let's just pretend for a second that he had two options. And I know this sounds a little bizarre, but think about it. You told him, listen, you're never going to be in the headlines again. The media is going to forget about you. Or you could be in the headlines, but the only way is by getting indicted or by having these scandals or January 6th, whatever. What would he choose? I'm not sure. Because, again, he's somebody who does crave the spotlight and loves being in the headlines. So it's not those are not the only two choices. But I'm just trying to give you like a thought experiment of how Trump's mind works. So, again, doesn't condone the Democrats, but they exploit who are vicious, but it exploits their weaknesses. So, for example, January 6th, right? The Democrats created January 6th. Trump had every right to be outraged that the election was rigged. Okay, the left. But what did they do? They refused to bring in the National Guard. The Capitol Police was asleep. Nancy Pelosi, as far as I'm concerned, very likely coordinated with the FBI to 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 allow the breach of the Capitol to transpire. The FBI, there are there's a lot of video evidence that shows that the FBI was at the front line of the protesters, literally breaching the Capitol, literally breaking down the barriers and ushering people in. And then we know, of course, the videos of the Capitol Police who were just giving these protesters a tour of the Capitol. Pelosi's in charge. Okay, they knew that Trump would rally his supporters. So yeah, Trump, he he, he called for peace. He called, called for peaceful protests. He urged and begged the, uh, his, his supporters, please don't do anything violent. Please, no violence. Please be peaceful. But they set him up. They set him up. But again, he put himself in the middle of it to a certain degree. They knew he was going to do that. Same with the classified documents, right? What did they do? They subpoenaed the classified documents over nonsense, National Archives, right? But they know that Trump, he's never going to just hand it over. Again, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he's a fighter, okay? He always tries to defend any, he resists, okay? So if they say, give us these papers, even if he doesn't care about the papers, and look, maybe he did want to have them, maybe not. But right then, he's going to dig in his heels and say, I'm not giving over these papers, and he's going to fight. So 
They, and now they hit him with obstruction because he's having a conversation with his lawyer. I think it's bogus obstruction, uh, bogus obstruction charges, but he's having a conversation with his lawyers basically saying, listen, is there a way that we can not hand over these documents? And now they're saying, well, he obstructed uh, justice because he's not complying with the subpoena. He's conspiring, colluding with his lawyers to try to defy a subpoena. So this is what they do. They exploit his weakness, weaknesses. They know he's not going to cave. They know he's going to fight. And then they try to claim that the fight is obstruction. Remember, it was the same thing. He always likes to explore ideas, right? Trump likes to explore ideas. He always, he's very creative and he's always thinking, okay, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Right? So remember when he wanted to fire Bob Mueller and the media is telling us, well, even the fact that he's considering firing Bob Mueller, who's investigating him as a special counsel, that itself is obstruction or if he fires Bob Mueller, that'll be obstru- like, like it's like they're incriminating him over nothing because they know that that's his nature. You know, similar thing. One of the claims against Trump is that after they subpoenaed these documents in Mar-a-Lago, that he sat with his lawyers and he basically strategized, how do we handle the subpoena? And they make it sound as though and he, he pointed out. He said, I don't understand. He said Hillary had a lawyer who literally deleted 30,000 emails and she never got in trouble. So do we really have to comply with the subpoena? And the, the media is in a tizzy and the left and the Democrats, and they're all talking about how, wow, look at Trump. He literally wanted to destroy evidence or tamper with evidence. He's guilty of obstruction. He was asking a question. He was asking a legitimate question. His own lawyer, by the way, went on MSNBC and he said, that's part of the process. He said, that's why you have attorney-client privileges, because the client gets to ask the lawyer, well, what about this? Well, what about that? How do we not comply with this? That's like part of the process is figuring out, well, what's the best strategy for defense? So that's a good thing. Asking your lawyer for advice and the lawyer says back, listen, no, sorry, that would be illegal. That would be wrong. You could have you could get in trouble with that. That's not obstruction. That's the opposite. That's called strategizing your defense. You know, he he, he fired Comey. Right. They appointed a special counsel. So it's just like incredible. They break all the rules to get him. And then Trump defends himself. And then they act as though, you know, it's a crime that he's trying to defend himself. Yet look at Hillary Clinton and this egregious double standard where Hillary literally had an email server with her classified emails as Secretary of State in her basement, put together by some probably high school kid, and it was hacked into by China, okay? Her, her private email server in her basement was so exposed that China hacked in and released a lot of, leaked a lot of her emails. You have Joe and Hunter getting millions from China, Ukraine, you have Dr. Fauci helping to develop a deadly virus in China. You have Eric Swalwell compromised by a Chinese spy. You have the FBI under James Comey and under Obama spying on a president-elect and on a presidential candidate, a Republican opposition candidate. And all the those are severe crimes. The worst thing that they have on Trump did not affect the country's national security, was not dangerous, was not a threat, was not treason. The worst, worst, worst. You've got to give me January 6th and tell me that that was an insurrection and Trump was somehow encouraging and inciting it, big deal. Nothing terrible happened. There were a couple of very, very tragic uh, deaths on January 6th. I don't mean to minimize it, but like nothing terrible happened for the country on January 6th. Okay, Trump taking these classified documents to Mar-a-Lago because he wanted to hang on to documents, documents about defense, whatever it is, wasn't sharing them with anybody, didn't destroy them. Nothing that he did involving these documents, worst case scenario, if he's convicted on every count, did not endanger the country, was not a threat, did not commit treason, none of that. Look at Hunter, look at Joe Biden, look at Hillary, endangering our country, endangering our national security, totally betraying the trust of the American people, compromising, literally Joe Biden doing political favors for our enemies, for China, for Ukraine, probably for Russia, uh, and, and, and literally hurting us in, in return for millions of dollars funneled to the Biden crime family. And 
zero repercussions. And those crimes are, again, they're not proven, but they're so much worse, so much worse for all of us, so much more dangerous and treasonous. All right, Trump has raised uh, over 7 million or probably 8 million by now, because a couple of days ago that I saw the story since his indictments. So it seems that getting indicted is extremely lucrative for fundraising. And I believe that Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are now trying to get indicted <laughs> just because they could use the help fundraising. They, they need to, like, find classified documents to then withhold from the FBI or something like that. They need the boost in the polls and they need the fundraising help. You can't make this stuff up. Uh, Medicaid spending on illegals ha- has hit $7 billion, and that was back in fiscal year 2021. So I guess they're behind because this is just been released, these numbers, that it doubled in one year. And nearly Medicaid spending on illegals nearly doubled in one year between 2020 and 2021. And that's, of course, you know, when Biden assumed office, reversed all of Trump's phenomenal border policies and just started allowing millions of illegals into the country in droves. It's probably much higher even right now. But this is according to uh, Homeland Security Committee Chairman Mark Green, Congressman Mark Green. Green said more people have entered the U.S. illegally under Joe Biden and DHS Secretary Mayorkas than in the 12 years of the Obama and Trump administrations combined. I want to say that again. I want to repeat that. Uh, the the under Biden and, of course, Alejandro Mayorkas, who deserves to be impeached, the disaster of a homeland secretary, under them, more illegals have entered the U.S. And it's only been, what, two years, then 12 years, the entirety of the Obama and Trump administrations combined. It is really outrageous. A city council in Michigan has banned the display of pride flags on city property. And what's amazing about this is that the left is actually not having the meltdown we'd expect. Why is that? Because the city council is all Muslim. And that's what's amazing is that if they're Muslim, they can get away with actually protecting values, with actually not being woke, not 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 being politically correct, being, quote unquote, intolerant of immorality. But they're Muslim, so nobody is going to say anything about it. If they were white, if they were Jewish, this city council, I, I mean, the left would be having a meltdown. They'd be called bigots and, and, and uh, discrimin- discrimination, all sorts of allegations. People would be going crazy, getting these people impeached, thrown in jail, who knows what. But the city council of Michigan, this is in a city. I'll find the name of the city here in a second, city I've never heard of. But it's right, right outside of Detroit. And all pride flags on city property have been banned by this all-Muslim, literally all-Muslim city council and a Muslim mayor. And this is the only city uh, in the United States with a an all-Muslim governing body and an all-Muslim mayor. And it's like amazing. Uh, all right, I guess I delete. I don't have the name of this city in front of it. Some, some city that's all-Muslim right outside Detroit. Obviously, there's a lot of Muslims. Uh, in the Detroit area, in the surrounding area, in Michigan. But if this had been a white city council, if this had been a Jewish city council, I mean, you cannot imagine uh, the kind of flack and backlash they'd be getting. People would literally be calling for them to be totally ousted. Uh, The mayor, a man named Hassan, he told opponents of this ban during a council meeting, he said, quote, you guys are the ones making problems. Please don't threaten us. I'm the elected official. I'm working for the people and what the majority of people like. That's what's amazing, is that the majority of Americans do not want this insanity, this pride insanity. This is like this immorality. This is something that like a very tiny minority of people 
actually support, but it's become this major cause of the left because they hate more, they despise morality. And so this very, very vocal minority has just totally taken control and they're destroying the fabric of our country. I mean, you look at Target, you look at Bud Light and everything else. And like I said, if this was whites, if this if this were Jews, but the left, because they're Muslim, so they actually get an exception. Um, Muslims are the only people in the United States that can actually defend, despise immorality and ban immorality and defend morality, religion and values and get a pass from the left. And, and, and it's like amazing because somehow the left, they, it proves that the left, they have no real values. They have no moral compass. They have no consistent set of beliefs because like they're total hypocrites. All they do is they just side with the bad guys, like period. Like, and, and just they can have a totally inconsistent set of values. Marjorie Taylor Greene says she may refuse to vote in favor of this year's upcoming defense funding bill in the House if it includes funding for Ukraine. I mean, it's just totally corrupt. She doesn't want to send more billions to Ukraine, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's 100 percent right. I mean, we're sending them billions and billions of dollars that we do not have. We're borrowing money from China to send to Ukraine and to pay for Medicaid and food stamps for millions of illegals. It's insane. It's insane. And we are borrowing this money. We do not have this money, raising the debt ceiling to borrow this money. And we have a $2 trillion deficit. And we're sending billions to Ukraine, which gets pocketed by Zelensky, pocketed by these corrupt Ukrainian politicians, pocketed by military defense contractors who are hired by the United States, who are just pocketing this money. And this money's going nowhere. And this war is accomplishing nothing. This war literally, even like best case, let's say the money's actually all going where it's supposed to go, which it's not. Okay, it doesn't accomplish a thing. All they're doing, just Ukraine and Russia fighting back and forth. The United States is gaining zero out of this war except massive inflation and a lot of other economic repercussions. We've got more insane uh, border news. Minnesota, the woke state of Minnesota, has voted to make illegals eligible for free college tuition. Okay, illegals in, in Minnesota are now eligible for free college tuition. It's outrageous. Democratic State Senate Higher Education Chair Omar Fateh he told Axios News Outlet, he said, quote, we want to make sure that when we're expanding opportunities for everybody, we're doing it for all Minnesotans, regardless of background, regardless of their documentation status. OK, so when we give millions of dollars, probably tens of millions of dollars to pay for college tuition money out of taxpayer dollars, we want to make sure it doesn't matter their documentation status. Illegals in Minnesota get free college tuition. Compliments of you and me, the taxpayer. Unbelievable. Democrats announced this week that taxpayers are going to pay about $135 million to cover the care, food, and housing of illegals in New York City. Unbelievable. $135 million. This is on top of all the other money that's already being spent. And what's amazing is Eric Adams, he like, you know, he tries to like toe the line. So Eric Adams, mayor of New York City, he's, number one, we know that he's he's shuttling, even though he can't stand it, he calls out Texas and Florida when they shuttle illegals into New York City, which is a sanctuary city. And Eric Adams says, send me your illegals, I'll take care of them. But then he gets all annoyed when they actually do it. And now he's sending illegals to upstate New York. And now he's suing these counties in upstate New York saying, you got to take my illegals. Doing the exact same thing that Governor Abbott and DeSantis do. And, and Eric Adams gets furious. And now he's doing it, the hypocrite. But uh, but he also he calls out Biden. But he actually he doesn't call out Biden and say, close the borders. He calls out Biden. He says Biden is responsible for all these influx of illegals in, in, in New York City. But then his solution is we need to spread them out, not don't let them in. So Eric Adams, it's just it's it's bizarre. And bizarre is a very kind, generous term for what I really am thinking about Adams. But since spring of last year, over 74,000 illegals arrived in New York City. 
And in, uh, Adams says the influx is unsustainable. But he has not urged Biden to reduce illegal immigration into the country to close the borders. What's Adams asking? He repeatedly has said to Biden, he says, you need a decompression strategy. He says illegal border crossers. He doesn't call them illegal. He calls them, calls them undocumented asylum seekers or whatever uh, you know word they come euphemistic term they come up with fake phony term but he says you've got to let them into the united states you got to spread them out he says that biden needs to spread them evenly he's got to shuttle them to cities throughout the united states not just sanctuary cities not just new york washington chicago the cities that actually claim to want them all right republicans are trying to pass two bills that would prevent the biden administration from banning gas stoves Two new bills would protect gas stoves from these government regulations that Biden is trying to impose. One bill approved on Tuesday would prohibit the use of federal funds to regulate gas stoves as a hazardous product. Again, they're making up these this false data, these false studies, claiming that somehow gas stoves are not healthy, which is not true. And then they have another bill that would block an energy department rule, which would make stricter energy efficient stand efficiency standards for stovetops and ovens. Look, they're coming for your gas stoves. OK, they deny it. They call it a conspiracy theory, but they are coming for your gas stoves. You literally had New York State has already banned gas stoves in all new buildings. San Francisco and Berkeley, California have banned gas stoves in all new buildings. Here, let me read you a quote here from the AP. Fears of a national ban grew after a member of the Consumer Product Safety Commission said any options on the table when it comes to regulating gas stoves. That comment prompted online images of the government dragging four burner cooktops from homes. Social media users and Republican lawmakers vowed to defend gas stoves. The debate reignited after the Energy Department proposed a rule requiring gas and electric stoves to use more efficient designs. That Energy Department rule could ban about half of gas stove models currently sold in the United States as of 2027. So they're banning gas stoves. They're doing everything they can to set up a ban for gas stoves. And then they're saying, oh, why are you guys all paranoid? Why do you think that we're going to ban gas stoves? We're not going to ban gas stoves. And that's like exactly what they're doing. And they admit it. China, this is terrifying. China is now a strategic partner with the Palestinian Authority, with Mahmoud Abbas. China has become a power broker in the Middle East. We have told you about this. Joe Biden is just sitting back, letting our enemies literally form this massive alliance in the Middle East, in Europe, and Asia, and Biden is doing nothing about it. They are usurping. The United States used to be the power broker in the region. The United States had a close alliance under Trump with the Saudis. Again, I don't love the Saudis, but we need our enemy's enemy, which means Iran is our ally, just for better or for worse. And he had the, Trump had the Saudis and the Israelis working together in the UAE and all these other Arab Gulf nations. And now China has swooped in and China has made peace between the Saudis and Iran, which is terrifying. Now China, Iran, Russia, the Saudis, the Palestinians, North Korea, Venezuela, they are all banding together. They are controlling the oil. They are controlling nuclear weapons. They are controlling the entire Pacific Ocean. The entire Pacific Ocean right now is controlled by the Chinese Navy. And is anybody discussing this? Is anybody waking up? No, because Biden's too busy worrying about gas stoves, allowing illegals into the country and flying these rainbow flags at the White House. This is literally a monumental threat. And China has usurped the United States' role as power broker in the Middle East. China has a partnership literally with the Saudis and Iran. It's catastrophic. I don't know how there no words can describe the dangers, the threat of China right now being so cozied up to so many of these very, very powerful, influential and nuclear enemies of the United States. So they have now have a strategic partnership with Mahmoud Abbas. Literally, Abbas visited Beijing last week and he was greeted with full military honors at the Great Hall of the People in China's 
Capitol, President Xi said, quote, we are good friends and partners. He told Abbas, we've always firmly supported the just cause of the Palestinian people to restore their legitimate national rights. It's just unbelievable. Meanwhile, Biden, as I said, is about to sign a terrifying nuclear deal with Iran. And they're calling this, uh, what are they calling this, an agreement, an arrangement, an understanding. It's an understanding because if they call it a nuclear deal, then it has to go through Congress. And, of course, they know that it'll never pass Congress. So they're circumventing Congress by calling it an understanding. Well, whatever it is, we're handing billions of dollars to Iran. Does it sound familiar? Last time we handed billions of dollars to Iran, it went straight to terror groups, which was we knew it would happen because Kerry admitted it would happen. There's a clip of him admitting that. We'll have to dig up that clip one of these days. Admitting, yeah, it's going to go and be funneled from Iran into terror groups because that's what they do. And that's exactly what happened. We handed billions of dollars to Iran. And, and I know they say, well, it wasn't, we didn't give the money to Iran. We just unfroze assets that were frozen. Give me a break. Okay. We freeze the assets because the Iranians are the, the, a massive terror regime. Of course we freeze there. And, and by the way, they're responsible for so many terror attacks. Those frozen assets are supposed to be used to actually pay the victims. According to many court judgments, never happens. But um, so the Biden administration is trusting Iran. And the New York Times says uh, a U.S.-Iran nuclear deal is imminent. It's just really, really, really just terrifying. And we're giving them billions of dollars and we're going to allow Iran to enrich uranium to 60 percent. 60 percent is literally days away from 90 percent enrichment, which which is what's needed for uh, a nuclear weapon. Remember, 20 percent to 60 percent. That takes a long time. That's a complicated process. But 60 percent to 90 percent, 90 percent enriched uranium is what's needed for a nuclear weapon. That is days. That does not take a long time. Not a complex process at all. The agreement, let me read you here from the Times. The unwritten agreement has Iran agreeing not to enrich uranium beyond 60%. Oh, wow, major concession, which is dangerously close to 90% needed for nuclear weapons. That's the Times talking, dangerously close. Iran will also commit to halt the tax on U.S. contractors in Syria and Iraq. Well, isn't that gracious of them? Cooperate with nuclear inspectors. No, they won't. And stop selling ballistic missiles to Russia for its attacks on Ukraine. In return for Iran's benevolent concessions, another quote from the Times, Mind-boggling, benevolent concessions. The U.S. will release billions of dollars of frozen Iranian assets for ostensibly humanitarian purposes only. Yeah, humanitarian purposes. They're going to refrain from placing further sanctions on Iran, stop seizing foreign oil tankers, and desist from pursuing resolutions against Iran in the U.N. The United States issued a waiver last week for Iraq to pay $2.7 billion in energy debts to Iran. In exchange for the release of further assets, such as an estimated $7 billion worth of oil purchase payments held in South Korea, Iran will release three wrongfully detained Iranian-American prisoners. Look, I want to release prisoners in Iran, American prisoners in Iran, but not at the expense of the Iranians developing a nuke. Uh, And meanwhile, Prime Minister Netanyahu, and this is a shocker to me, and I'm going to tell you my theory, but I don't know. Netanyahu told um, the Knesset that a mini-deal with Iran, between the United States and Iran, is imminent. But he says it's something that Israel can live with. He says it's a mini-deal. He says it's not as bad as the previous one, meaning the Obama nuclear deal. Hard to understand that since 60% enrichment. And he says it's inevitable because the United States is determined to sign this deal with Iran, so they cannot be stopped. But he says we can live with it. He says Israel can accept this deal. And he called it a mini-agreement, not an agreement Here, let me read you a quote here from Netanyahu. Quote, what's on the agenda at the moment between Washington and Tehran is not a nuclear deal. It's a mini deal. We will be able to handle it. This is not the deal that we knew. But he didn't elaborate, so we don't know what he meant by that. The most recent estimate by the IAEA, Iran has 251 pounds of enriched uranium to 60 percent purity, which, by the way, experts say 
that has no civilian use. Nuclear experts say there is no civilian use for 60% purity, or at least in that amount, 250 pounds of it. What a shock, because the Iranians, they insist that they don't want to build a nuclear weapon. They're saying their nuclear program, it is purely for civilian purposes. They just want to, it's just for nuclear energy. It's just a cleaner way to power the country. The Iranians, they're very climate conscious. They're very environmentally conscious. And nobody told them that you don't need it to be up to 60% enrichment just to power the country for civilian purposes. Please, we, we all know the truth here. So my theory, my hope, I should say, because theory is a strong word, is that Netanyahu is planning to attack, that he's planning to, you know, there's going to be mystery. Remember those mystery explosions, mystery fires? Didn't happen so much under Naftali Bennett, but under Netanyahu, you know, the even though even the Iranians, they have their nuclear facilities deep underground beneath mountains, like like thousands of feet underground, like like a mile or two underground, very, very hard to penetrate from, from drones or from outside strikes. But then, like, the computers just blow up. They get infected with these viruses, and then you have these mystery explosions that happen underground that mysteriously destroy the Iranian nuclear facilities. So I have to believe and hope that that is Netanyahu's game plan here. Otherwise, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.